interesting, occasionally interesting. They are occasionally interesting. Uh, you have finished season one of Occasionally Interesting, and we're coming back with season two in 2020. And we're uh, taking this break to enjoy the holidays and record a whole bunch more awesome interviews. And we're really looking forward to seeing you all guys all back here for season two, uh, coming the first week of January. Yes, we are. <laughs> it's been a wild ride. We've had amazing interviews, made some amazing friends along the way, and we are excited to bring you top quality content that you've become accustomed to. <laughs> we would love to hear your feedback, things you would like to hear more of, things you would like to hear less of. Constructive criticism is always welcome. So let's talk about the main constructive criticism we've been getting from people, is that we need to be more rude <laughs> and interject our guests and steer them more ask questions and tell our own stories and as i think very polite people and this does not come naturally to either of us maybe for slightly different reasons um yeah so that's a hard thing to work on because i feel like we've both been conditioned to think that you know that's not that's not nice or feel weird about anything that asserts, oh, what I have to say is more important than what you have to say. Which I feel like is the opposite of many people who tend to want to talk. But we like love people and started this podcast because we love asking people questions and we love hearing what people have to say. And it has been really interesting to kind of um, explore that well, that you and I are kind of very similar and that many humans are not so similar, that I, for us, I think both of us, can't really imagine uh, getting asked a question and then just monologuing indefinitely. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah. I think, I think it also changes with the person. Like when you have a microphone in your front face and you're asked a question, it's, I think it sort of... I think people tend to maybe monologue more than they normally would. Because yeah, of course. Like, I need to now present a, the answer Yeah. rather than it being a conversation. Absolutely. So I think having the microphone in front of your face, it's a very interesting psychological tool. Of It definitely seems to let people feel like they can get vulnerable more quickly. But I don't know. It's like parts of their guard are down and parts of their guards are up. Yeah, for sure. Because they still want to sound good and feel like people think that, you know, okay, if it's maybe I just need to keep explaining it in order for it to sound the best. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. So we haven't really, we, we, we've gotten since season one ended and we've been talking to some listeners that's definitely the feedback that we've gotten. And we were kind we were aware of it in ourselves, and I was certainly aware of it in editing these interviews, but now hearing feedback that people actually are really noticing this and wishing we would jump in more. And it's funny because I hear, you know, I listen to a lot of um celebrity interview podcasts and that, you know, like Dak Shepard, Chris Hardwick, all these people were 
Do you worry about him? Not um, not enough to stand up. Anxious. You need to call for him? Anyway, so we were talking about us needing to interject. Yes, be assertive. I don't think that's rude. I think that's especially in a in this format. I don't think. Yeah, but isn't it hard to get past being trained that that's rude? It is for me. I mean, there's like there's a blockade in my chest, even like yeah, because it feels rude. It feels. It feels like I'm telling that person that they're not as important as me. Even if I'm just trying to ask them another question, I've just really, I've really very much been taught not to interrupt. Anytime I interrupt, I'm so aware of it with like every fiber of my being. Anytime I ever interrupt anybody, I feel it throughout my whole body. It's like I have to, I have to really force myself. I agree. I think I'm, I'm similar. Where- I'd rather let somebody go on for an extra couple of minutes than like, even if they're like repeating themselves. I'm like, okay. Like, although I don't know, I find it depends on the topic of conversation too. Like oftentimes or if it's like a, a philosophical or like a political conversation, I'm like, and I, there's certain repetitive conversations that occur that I like to get ahead of and be like, okay, okay. Like, we all know where this point's going. Yeah. Let's skip that point. Like, But when it's somebody's personal story. Yeah, you can't really. Yeah. Nor would I necessarily, I mean, want to. I mean, maybe maybe editing is the answer, not necessarily. I'd really love to see know. how much editing goes into, like, a Terry Gross interview. Like, oh. Because it seems like there's, it gets a none. Very, yeah, like, none. I'm guessing there's none. She's, like, the pinnacle of perfection of... Yeah, I'd, she's I'd a be surprised. I'd be surprised. Plus, I mean, the the the, the caliber of guests matters a lot too. The right. people that she's interviewing are well versed and concise. Yeah, uh, something that my mom said is that we need to do more research. But I mean, the whole point of our, I mean, yeah, I think that sometimes, or with a couple of their guests, especially with the Skype interviews, I was getting away from the heart of this podcast because I just hearing about people out there in the world who interest me and I want to contact them. But the whole point of our podcast is to talk to the most interesting people we meet while traveling because there's so many interesting people out there and most of them aren't researchable. Like we're asking them the questions for the first time here now and it's not like we could have found any information about them online or whatever. I mean, with some of our people, you know, they've written books and that's really interesting, but a lot of times we're not finding out about that until the middle of the interview um and you know i think matt bowden one of the only like true celebrities we've had on the podcast we did do a lot of research and i think that was went really well yeah Mm, but you know i like you know i think often one of our least listened to episodes ever was nick from new zealand talking about new zealand and electric cars and stuff that one has like i think maybe our lowest listens of all time but I love that episode and like that is really the heart of uh, what I'm at. Just like that we met out somewhere while traveling. We met at the Pie Hot Springs Resort and he was having, 
we were overheard an interesting conversation. And then we were like, whoa, what you're saying is really interesting. Got into a bit of a conversation there about one specific topic. And then we're like, we'd love to hang out more and record it. And like, you know, there was no background research to be done. But that's just like, that's exactly what I want. Having meeting somebody in the wild, feeling intrigued by them, and then being able to sit down and learn about them and have have interesting conversations with the people you meet while traveling. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't know if research, I mean, it's... If they're researchable like Matt Bowden, then great. But most of our guests really aren't. No, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's more just maybe you and I having a better idea of like where we want the conversation to go ahead of time. If we have, if it's possible at least. And yeah, so, right. Like what? I don't know. I mean, yeah, like, I, I don't know. I like, I like how, I like how we've been doing it. I think probably, unfortunately... Needs more editing. Yeah. So we keep coming back to. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Again, I think you've only ever listened to one finished episode. Like, you don't know how much editing I do. I do a lot of editing, but. That's true. I mean, don't take this as a criticism. Not... And you thought that one was edited brilliantly. Yeah. And it was. I mean. And, and that was been... one of our most popular yeah. episodes. <laughs> yeah. So I guess, I guess you're right. I just need to take the editing more. I, I, and I've said this before, I'd be happy to. Sit with you while you edit it. <laughs> I would. No, I mean, yeah, sit with me. That's just, you know, I don't like this type of thing. Or, I mean, we, you know, after you're done, before we publish it, we can sit there and listen to it together. And I could be like, okay, we could take this 15 minutes out or. Okay. Um, All right, maybe. Yeah, let's give it a, tr- let's give it a shot. How do I know? I feel like I'm always trying to get over it. And I honestly am not really sure where it's coming from within me that. I do feel like the, I mean, I think it's just because mentally I'm cool, but maybe emotionally, since you're, I pick up on you being like, uh, okay, I have to turn on and talk now. And, uh, then you have anxiety around that. And then I just pick up emotionally as that being like, I don't want to do the podcast. I don't like the podcast. I know it's not true in my head, but I have to keep on trying to get over it and uh just be yeah i don't know it's also for me it's gotten phenomenally easier as time has gone on too um, well that's good yeah like the anxiety behind like creating it in general is, has diminished greatly because it keeps on being awesome and fun right yeah 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 i mean at first it was definitely like i mean, it's, it's funny to look back on and be like wow it was it was a struggle and now it's it's like we're gonna get to have a great conversation with somebody, which is is awesome, yeah. and it's a it's shocking how much that uh, has gone away. That's awesome. Yeah. Yay! Season one revelations. Growth. So now for season two, it's a fully comfortable Trevor. Eighty <laughs> percent comfortable. Trevor. <laughs> it also depends on who we're interviewing and if we know them, how comfortable I am with them, how much of an expert I feel like they are, and in relation to my own knowledge and yeah it's yeah you know whether it's going to be a conversation whether it's going to be like a sort of teacher kind of thing where it's more like ask questions and find out you know yeah the relationship is to the speaker is interesting yeah for sure um what what's your what's your favorite highlight from season one? Hmm. 
What's your favorite interview from season one? Oh, that's impossible to pick. I can't do it. I can't do it. I well, I actually really loved the recent one, Tyler and Kendra. I thought it was amazing. They're such a great couple, and I love the way they talk and the way they think. That one was really. I I hope a lot of people listen to that. I know it's two parts because it was long, um, but we'd been wanting to talk to them forever, and it did not disappoint. Um, yeah, they're really happy. really awesome people. I hope they come out to visit. Me too. Of course, Matt Bowden is towards is was an incredible experience. Um, he's such a great person, man. Matt Bowden, if you're listening, he's changed our lives in so many ways. We've met like all of our friends because of him, and yeah, and he really he embodies this energy that is just it's such an authentic and genuine and like you know it's like what. I see a lot of people here trying to yeah, capture is that He's spark. powerful. Yeah, he's it's, just like it's and it's such a such a non like manipulative like it's Yeah. Very earnest, authentic. Yeah, it's it's refreshing. He's he's really we are very I'm very happy to have gotten to know him. Me too. So yeah, I think that is definitely one of our most incredible episodes. For sure. Man, I basically love them all. Um, yeah. yeah. I'd say I really liked a totally different a totally different approach. Alex from Grid Philly. That was one where we didn't meet him while traveling. I just uh, reached out to him because I thought he'd be cool. And he really, really was. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. He was great. He was great. Wow. We've met so many interesting people along the way. We sure have. Um, the Jen and James episode will always hold a very special place in my heart. And that's Jen and James part two is our number one, by far, number one most listened to episode by far. And I just love them and I love their dynamic. And it was just so much fun to be recording with them. I mean, like I could have asked them questions for the rest of my life. I'm, I think we just, the four of us really had a great, a great chemistry. I agree. Yeah, they were, they were good people. I hope we get to meet them again. I know. They're in New York now. Oh, nice. Are they done traveling? No, they just like went and they started uh, traveling. I think they're staying there like in the States at least for the holidays. But they started uh, travel like retreats with them essentially where they like show people around town. I don't totally. uh, That's cool. Yeah. I like took a a survey when they first started. (laughs) I don't know. All right. Any more? Um. Or do you do you have a favorite from season one? Mm. I mean, my immediate reaction is to go to Matt Bowden and Doctor Prash, yeah. um, because they were the ones that we researched, and uh, that's right. They were. I mean, but both of them are, have been in the public eye for so long, and they're such good public speakers, and they are also all about like their mission is promoting. Fun stuff, <laughs> authenticity, drugs, <laughs> and things that they're like really passionate about. I agree, um, and in a, in a, in an uh, in an authentic and knowledgeable way. I mean, I think that's a conversation that the country, the United States, at least, is, is starting to have, and I think it's desperately needed. And I think these people are on the the forefront of this conversation that that has largely been put aside for yeah. various reasons and 
to the detriment of, I mean, hundreds of thousands of people. I mean, and I mean, millions of people really. And it's, it's nice to be able to, to speak with people that are enacting change in that. I mean, I think that like, you know, I was having a conversation with your father on the train about the legalization of drugs. Where was I? You were there. You were, it was, it was packed and you were sort of like off in the corner when your brother was standing there as well, but it was really me and your father having a conversation about like the opioid crisis and legalization, the merits of legalization of drugs and, I was I was a little worried about having the conversation with you. He's pro legalizing. He was definitely pro decriminalizing, and I think that that's a, a actually in a lot of ways like a, a really. I mean, it's it's better because it means less people in jail, and that's always good. But yeah, I definitely take a more radical approach of like the necessity of not just decriminalizing but legalizing drugs because i think they have dramatically different effects yeah and once they're i mean just like with everything once it's legal then there can be safety nets put in like they can be safer for people um and you know who was this what were we listening to a podcast that was talking about like some, somewhere it got like heroin was legalized and then it was like if you came for like more than an allotted amount of heroin throughout the month then you had to get like psychological help or was that Matt Bowden? <laughs> I can't remember. I know that we talked about there I wish I wish I could remember which country it was. I had read a, a, a detailed article on how they not only like they this was a decriminalizing act but they were the state was providing heroin to addicts. I think it was Portugal. Or... Was it? For, I mean, it was somewhere in Europe. Yeah. Um, but so they provided like a fix room. And like Philadelphia, I read an article, was debating uh, fix rooms, which is a safe space where you can go and shoot up and there's medical attention there. So if you overdose, you can get um, – but it, it takes heroin use off the streets and the parks and yeah, sort of isolates it into – Yeah, so good. How yeah, can you be against it? And they've done yeah, – they've, they've done, uh, great studies i believe in like finland and like a lot of the scandinavian I, it might even been finland the other country that uh where uh the effect has been tremendously positive in terms of rehabilitation in terms of like like everything that seems maybe counterintuitive that you're like well you're almost i think the counter argument would be like you're kind of condoning heroin use if if you create a safe space for it to occur which just seems extremely short-sighted in my opinion like it's going to occur let's make it safe let's make it um, controlled and a lot of people will walk into these fixed rooms and you'll see like the medical staff on the one side laughing and jovial and sober and having a good time and then you see the zonked out zombies on the other side and it makes you question like hmm what did I just get myself into mm -hmm. maybe I should turn around and run for the hills mm -hmm. and that has been the that's, that's been the effect and the, another like a country took it even a step further where they were then providing heroin you could go and you could get your fix once a day they offered a uh, job placement as well so you could get a job um and one of the things that i mentioned to your father was the study that like the the st stereotypical dare study where they're like they give a rat in a, in a cage in a, in a solitary environment one water bottle and one laced with cocaine and and food and it will just consume cocaine until it dies 
but that same study when replicated with other mice so the 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 mouse can be or the rat can be socialized as well as have it have games to play it will no longer exhibit that behavior where it will consume cocaine until it dies so offering viable alternatives is you know that at least postulated that is a, a reasonable barrier to addiction of when people feel like they can fulfill a life's purpose that is ultimately what's going to stop the opioid crisis not sending 1% 1 out of every 100 people in our country is in jail large majority of that is for drug offenses like that is fucking absurd yeah and i mean and and now we're privatizing our prison systems so now people are making money off of that there's quotas that need to be like i mean it's just it's a f- terrible fucking system and decriminalizing it doesn't fix any of that it like yeah we might have less people in jail but it's still going to target poorer populations disproportionately my legal fees are a bitch that's why I go Bernie no more cash bail people sit in jail for months on end because they can't afford a couple hundred dollars worth of cash bail so then the state picks up the fooding, food and housing charge which costs north of $40,000 a year to incarcerate somebody so 1% of our population is in jail and we're paying a, a college tuition for each of those to be in jail for a year. I mean, and then we think that we can't afford fucking school for everyone. I mean, it's it's absurd. It's truly, truly absurd. What a fucking broken system. How did we get like this? Jeez. Yeah, Nixon. Thanks, Nixon. <laughs> I don't know how we got here, but yeah. we can we can edit this out. But now I worry that, like you know, because I know your parents are concerned about my political views and how how left leaning I can I can seem. So, <laughs> um, so I was a little, you know, I, and this this is a conversation that I feel passionate about the legalization of drugs because I mean, first and foremost, I think it's a human's right issue. I think that you have the you should have the right to put in your body what you want to put in your body even if that's detriment so but i mean it's because it's something i can seem so passionate about i was worried that he, it would be misconstrued um that you know like why politicians find it hard to get behind this kind of concept is it seems like you're soft on drugs or even advocating the use of drugs which it's advocating the use of safety and restrictions like the opposite of i mean the effect the effect of it in every place that it's been done has shown healthier and less drug use. For the most part, um, there are some caveats to be had there, but yeah. Yeah. Um, I I also, I don't think that I went into this. I mean, I, I, I am a proponent of responsible, safe drug use. I think that alcohol is a drug and it's used not used safely (laughs) no and and i mean and we've built a society around this and i wouldn't say don't drink you know i don't think that that's the solution but it seems very hypocritical to say say don't drink it's the 
it's the worst one. I mean, like everybody dies. <laughs> well, like any drug, I think responsible, uh, moderate use yeah, but is we have a culture of irresponsible. What's the what's the what's the word that is not moderate? Like heavy, heavy, abusive. Um, yeah, but I don't think that's a problem with alcohol. I think that that's a problem with our society being overworked, stressed out, and they need an outlet. And the only outlet that they have to them or that they feel like, that more often than not people feel like the only outlet that's available to them or a very easy outlet is to binge drink, to ease this suffering that they're not even really necessarily that they're aware in because it's so normalized to work 40, 60 hours a week in a stressful job that is not rewarding, that is not fulfilling, that is not, that you're not passionate about. People get trapped into this like, well, you don't even realize how much anxiety is, is being cooped up in you. And then you give them this pretty much like magic elixir that's like, the anxiety that you didn't even feel was there is now lifted and it feels so elating. Yeah, but tomorrow it's going to be back in full force with a, with more added from all the stupid stuff you did yesterday. Absolutely. But the solution to that is not to limit alcohol or you know, on, a, on, a, on a societal level to say like, oh, well, we shouldn't. You know, this is, the solution is to create a, a environment where people don't feel that stress and then you don't get that huge relief because you weren't, you know, you don't, you're starting from a more level headed place. And it's, it's easy to not realize that you're coming into drinking fucking just riddled with anxiety and stress. And then, like, so you're not, you're not calibrating how much that's like relief is coming from the alcohol of like, holy shit, this feels amazing. Well, it feels amazing because you're in a shitty situation to begin with. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Like, so, like, yeah, the solution is fix the things that are causing alcohol to feel so good to people in the first place. And then they can use it responsibly. But also if they find other options, I mean, like, we know psychedelic drugs have, are often, they reveal the truth that say you should stop drinking alcohol. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that, yeah, I think that, but I think that if you change, like, you know, the nature of people, the way, like, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a couple of beers out with your buddies, like, and I, I think there's probably better drugs to, to, you know, if we changed the way that society socializes, it could definitely be around better, safer drugs, but I don't necessarily see anything wrong with socialization being enhanced with yeah. social lubricants, yeah, and sure. I think that's probably a... Uh, the the point of view that I'd be worried that your parents would uh whatever what are you so worried about I mean, I'm not aware like it's just I'd 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 want them to understand my argument and I don't think that I always necessarily as am as articulate as I would like to be and it could definitely be I mean. It could definitely be misconstrued as being, you know, if I'm sitting there in the same conversation saying, well, we should legalize heroin, that could be, you know, misconstrued to, you know, easily turned to really soft on drugs. I mean, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, we are. <laughs> I am. I am. 
but also, I mean, I think that the, the way to have that conversation is also like, it's, it's, it's more to the point to then instantly talk about the hardest drugs and how they should be legalized, which really I think does, does a dis- disservice to the argument in itself because, you know, but that like, because it's not just talking about the legalizing of heroin or, or crack or Coke or, you know, it's, it's talking about the legalization of all these other drugs in between that and, and marijuana. And that's really the important argument to have, because I, I truly believe that when you legalize drugs, you would get rid of the heroin, you would get rid of the crack because anybody in their right mind wouldn't choose, you know, if there was better alternatives to them, like there, there would still be some, there was, but by and large, I don't think anybody would be like walking to that fixed room and, you know, wanting a party and be like, Oh, that's, that's the party I want right over there with the people slumped up in the corner. Like, you know, that's, I think that that slumped up in the corner thing is a symptom of, of a much larger societal issue. It's not the drugs. Absolutely. Agreed. I hope that, uh, <laughs> my parents are stuck with you. <laughs> well, I would like them to be happily stuck with, happily stuck with me. Um, because I, I love I love your parents. They're they're some of the most awesome people I've had the pleasure of meeting. Aww. Generous. Thank you. Thank you so so much <laughs> for all the wonderful adventures that we've been on together. I feel really bad that I didn't get a chance to thank them in person when we left Japan. Well, you'll see them in a couple weeks. I will. Um, I love. I like spending time. They're they're just great. They're. I feel very fortunate that. Uh, like your wife's parents. Yeah, like my wife's parents. <laughs> that, that would really suck to not, uh, to not. I feel very fortunate that they are as cool. Yeah, you're marrying into a pretty good family. Absolutely, that's that's amazing. <laughs> good, <laughs> I agree. I'm a big fan of my parents and the whole family. Yeah. So if they are, if if they are listening, I, I know that uh, I don't, I don't know if I've if I've. I feel like I mean I feel like I couldn't appropriately thank them for all the awesome things that they've done. Yeah. Um, so thank them by giving the daughter a lifetime of happiness. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd also like them to know that they are deeply appreciated. Yeah. That's very sweet. <laughs> and we'll be seeing them again soon. Yeah, indeed we will. So season two. <laughs> So season two, we're going to be trying to be more directing with our questions and get more comfortable with being rude, <laughs> except to call it something better, assertive. Assertive, yes. And um, maybe maybe some more editing. <laughs> but yeah, we're very excited to bring you season two in 2020. Oh, something I thought about this past week that I was like, this is a good podcast topic, I think. I don't know. Maybe there won't be anything more from what I'm about to say. I was thinking of, uh, like, that you know you found the right person when what they say matches up with, like, that little voice inside of you. The voice inside of you that, like, you know, seems to know the more ultimate truths. That little voice. And definitely, I don't think... And, yeah, no, I've absolutely never... 
previously had a partner that remotely matched up with that voice, but never, you know, never thought about it until now when I feel like I do. And I'm like, well, I think that's the key. I think you could be pretty different people, but if you're matched up on that voice, then yeah. <laughs> then you speak the same language. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times, you know, like being partners is helping guiding each other through life and challenges and whatnot. And it's amazing to have, because I'll get whatever, the stresses of life and all these different sides of me coming out. But when you have somebody there to reflect what's already the ultimate truth inside of you and you're able to guide me down that path, that's amazing. And like I said in the Fred episode, you know, it's just the 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 growth from being in a good and happy place is just amazing and vastly preferable to growing from a hard place. I still think it's good to grow from a hard place and you have to get you have to go through that in order to get to a place where you can grow from the happy place, I think. But it's pretty good growing from love and happiness and being with the right person. I'm a big fan. Yeah. Yeah. Do you agree with that assessment? Do you feel like I'm I'm an echo of the little voice inside you? This will be real awkward. Nope. <laughs> Not at all. We need to talk to you about that. <laughs> yes, I think. I think. Absolutely. You're a great bounce board. Perfect in every way. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> every way, huh? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So if there's any topics out of you people out there that you would like us to explore more, we can we'd love to hear them. We'd love to hear your favorite guests from season one. Yeah. Was there something that moved you? Was there a particular episode that was particularly gripping? Was there was the one you hated? That'd be funny to hear hear back. Yeah, I really fucking hated this one. Yeah. We'd probably agree with you. <laughs> yeah. What else? All right, let's close this out. So stay tuned in 2020 for season two, where we will bring you the best uh-huh. of everything. Wow. Everybody gets churro. It's occasionally interesting, but even more interesting. Yes. Yes, we might have to change the name, in fact, to Extremely Always Interesting. We'll have to we'll have to brainstorm that one, but we'll get back to you. <laughs> all right. See you all in 2020. Bye. Bye.